It's the BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Are you? Is this the new music? Is that what you're responding to? Yeah. What's that happening? Oh, that's our there? new. That's our new intro music. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Little, Did that happen yesterday? Did I miss that? It's a Monday sometime. You know, like I, I said this earlier in the week. Everything's an evolving process. Just because I haven't found something, like. We're going to get into consistency. We're going to get into going with the flow, all kinds of stuff. Sure. When talking about Penn State football and James Franklin, that's what this show strives to be. The BWI Daily Edition is to evolve and grow. And just because we have music or we have, you know, imaging doesn't mean it's going to be that way forever. As soon as something better pops up, we're going with it. It's like it's, the transfer portal. It's important to be able to change on the fly. Is that what you're saying? That's when- exactly what I'm saying. That is exactly Brilliant. what I'm saying. Uh, and and point. normally you and I, with James Franklin speaking earlier today on the traditional signing day, uh, the, the range of topics he covered, we would we could go an hour and a half easily on this show talking about all those things, wrapping it all up, putting in a bow, giving it context, putting paintings and watercolors together to illustrate our points. Uh, but because it's such a busy day, we're kind of up against the clock. So we're going to get through the important stuff, but we're going to continue this conversation tomorrow. Can I pencil you in for tomorrow, Nate, to get into some yeah, of the chewy stuff? You know that brevity is not my strong suit. Which is why we're keep we're condensing this canned soup down into uh, you know the orange juice you buy in the freezer. We're not going to be squeezing our own juice this uh, today. So I want to get into a couple of the topics that James Franklin talked about on National Signing Day, um, and a couple of them. I'm going to start with consistency. I think is where I want to start. Actually, okay. I, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure because I don't remember which one I put the graphic on to start with. Let's talk about the portal because this is to your point about um, the ability and the flexibility to evolve with the times. And James Franklin mentioned this in a lot of different ways and scenarios on during his press conference. I think a really good example is our spring semester starts earlier than most. Um, and when, when guys are looking to get into the transfer portal and be somewhere for spring ball, um, we can't use the normal admissions process that's always existed to get a guy in, um, you know, there, there's going to have to be some flexibility. Um, you know, there was a fairly prominent school, you know, that just that just got some guys, um, you know, on their campus and in class, and they have a similar academic schedule that we have, uh, and they were able to get guys into school. You know, so I just think it's something that that not only the NCA and the Big Ten has to look at, but all these different institutions have to look at as well and say, okay, these are the new rules. These are the new realities. And are we willing and what do we need to do to, to position our programs and, and our school um, in, the best, in the best light to take advantage of these things? All right, so we already have 40 minutes of content right there. There's so many layers to that, Nate. First off, we look at rules in general about admissions and enrollment and all this stuff as set in stone. But when you think about it, they're just decisions we all make together and agree upon. So where does that rule come from and how do you go about changing it if you're James Franklin or Penn State or is it the state of Pennsylvania? Yeah, that's I mean, that's that's the conversation and that's the point is. Uh, all of the things that are hiccups and hurdles to being able to do certain things are choices. They're not, it's not a law that Penn State 
can't accept uh, a new student in the middle of the semester, right? It, it's a, we've had a, weirder laws, but yeah, <laughs> but it's a choice. It's a it's a it's a decision that Penn State has made, and yeah. that obviously um, you know inhibits the ability to bring somebody in after the academic calendar has begun in the spring. And so, you know, I think I think like that is one of many examples that James Franklin talked about during the day on on Wednesday was look there, there's there's if you're wondering why Penn State's movement into the program has been limited from a transfer portal perspective like he's telling you yeah he's, he's telling you what what some of the hangups are yeah. and why people should adjust their expectations to and we've talked about this many times to the spring now right yeah. like it's going to be it's going to be on the back side of the spring semester when Penn State can can start bringing transfer guys in again. Yeah. And, and that that does, I, I've kind of downplayed that. I think I've been the one guy downplaying that of saying, at this point, you need to get the talent in the door. Whether it, it doesn't matter if the train has sailed for getting them here for winter conditioning. That's a big part of it. But um, getting the talent in the door at defensive end, at offensive line, doesn't matter. You need to get those guys in here, and there are still quality players out there. But if there was a way to enroll them mid-semester and they could hop in the middle of a lifting session, just one day they're at North Texas or they're at Cornell or they're at uh, Vanderbilt, and then suddenly they show up on just campus. For just yeah. for instance, they show up in their play. Now, all of a sudden, they're lifting next to uh, Caden Wallace or they're lifting next to Devon Ellis. Then there you go. It's yeah. problem solved. Yeah, and and um, you know, I, I I think that that it it's just um, academically there are things there are like not just not just the enrollment period, but the fact of uh, having certain academic standards that have to be hit right. before you can right and like it's just it's just a muddy process. I mean, I think that that's the the overarching theme is you've got this muddy process where it takes time. It's like you know a home inspection where it's they you go to them and they come back to you and you go yep. to them and so something that you might want to take a couple of days takes six weeks like there there has to be that option out there in some capacity to speed the process up right, right. like the, the you know the the passport <laughs> the passport application and there's two things it's like sixty dollars or sixty five dollars and you might get it back in six months yeah. or check here for $150, you can get it in two weeks. It's the fast pass James, at Disney. James Franklin is trying to get the fast pass. Yeah. That's what he's trying to do. Yeah. And he also brought up something that is, we've talked about this on a, a variety of levels, and we've mentioned these things before as things are going to change. He specifically brought up scholarship limits and the model still having vestiges of the old guard despite changing radically in the last two years? Signing numbers in terms of whether it's the hard cap or whether it's initials, we're using a model that was built for college football 20 years ago, and that's really no longer the model. You know, it's, it's changed dramatically. So I think not only there, does there need to be flexibility on these college campuses, but there needs to be flexibility um, you know, at the Big Ten and NCA level as well. Uh, to make sure that we're we're putting our programs in the in the best position to respond, you know, when change happens. So, the first thing that comes to mind is in the off season, NFL teams are allowed to carry, I think, ninety three players, a thirty extra. Um, that's it. The problem is they get cut. 
come training camp. And you don't want to be cutting kids at training camp if this is going to be... Unless you go full NFL model. And that's what it seems the Big Ten and James Franklin specifically doesn't want to do. But there has to be some leeway here when it comes to numbers, the cap, the hard cap, all those things. What are some of your thoughts on that matter and how can that be massaged? Yeah, I don't don't know that I can speak all that knowledgeably to the, the specifics in terms of what's proposed out there. But I, I do think, you know, the notion of, hey, maybe look like they changed to 85 scholarships how many years ago? And maybe that needs to be adjusted. Maybe it's 85 normal scholarships and five transfers scholarships. Um, you know, just just something to 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 create a construct that works with what everyone's dealing with now, right? Like, I mean, if you can't, right. if you, if, if you can't possibly understand exactly what your roster is going to look like at the end of a season, right? Because a bunch of players in January and then a bunch of players in May are all going to decide to transfer out of the program for various reasons. That makes it, that makes it, next to impossible to nail down how many scholarships you have available to, to give out and, and to, to offer people. Um, and so I just, I just think that makes it this, this tough kind of unreasonable expectation that everyone is going to be able to, to juggle, right. This act of, of managing a roster at this level at this point. What do you so aside from the things that we, we've been talking about already and all of the the shifting sands of what college football is, and as James Franklin said to you when you asked your question, I, I would never call roster set uh, at any point now with the transfer portal. And Solidified. Everything else. Solidified. Um, what else stood out to you about James Franklin and his comments and the overarching feeling you got from him on National Signing Day when he talked about these topics? Yeah, there, there was this, and, and again, I mean, it's it's broad and we could do uh, an entirely separate show about it. We're going to. This, this, uh, this internal conflict, right, yeah. of he is old school. He, yeah. he, he doesn't want most of this stuff. He would prefer not to have NIL, I don't think. He would prefer not to have the transfer portal and the ease of which it is to, to now transfer to, to get out of whatever program you're in. I don't think that he thinks that those are necessarily in the best interest of college football moving forward or that college football experience. Yeah. However, and this was the the major caveat, he was like, Hey, you, you got to embrace it. If, if you aren't embracing it, if you are resistant to this change, it's not going to serve you in whatever future right is created and Take, in a taking, lot of a, way, taking a stand on any of these issues is just going to get you run over by the tide it's not correct. you're not going to be the lighthouse and the beacon of morality in these situations you're going to get buried and you're going to be lost at sea unless and this is this is again this undercurrent of a point is unless you're going to do something totally different, right? Like yeah. it would take, so either you're going to go along with it and this is where these things are headed or, 
he brought up bold and aggressive again. Those were the words that he used. Uh, all right, maybe it's bold and aggressive to bring up a, a possible separate entity, <laughs> right? Like, uh, it, either way, whether or not you're going with the NIL, the transfer portal, all of those different changes that have happened to the sport over the last two or three years, either you're going along with it or you're not, but you can't not go along with it in the same construct as what everybody else is doing. Yeah. If you're still in that mold, if you're still in that pond, you're going to get demolished and yeah. eaten. Yeah. Uh, that actually it leads into what he talks about here, and I want to take this particular next point that James Franklin made and kind of spin it out into something that I, that is that has been a part of Penn State's, um, I think, narrative with Franklin as the head coach. I, I'm a guy that likes the structure and I like the consistency um, that we've been able to have. Um, I prefer not to have the changes that we've had, uh, but you better embrace them. You know, I think, I think that's something that not only am I preaching um, to the administration and the fans and, and when I answer your guys' questions, but I'm also talking to myself about that as well. Um, so basically everything you just said is what he said there. But when I heard that, it's something that I've thought for a while is when you hear James Franklin say 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, People have mantras, not just to have them, but because they either need them or believe in them. Like the the ability and the inability to overcome tough losses. James Franklin, as you mentioned, is an old school coach. He is an emotional guy. You get that finally to see that in that little window after games when you are asking questions in the moment. He's out on the field. He's in his element. He's a little less guarded. He's a little less polished. He's a little more who he is. And you can see he's a really emotional guy. So when it comes to one and zero and the the letting a loss bleed into two, like it's also that's a part of his personality because he wants to win so badly. And I think people give the opposite meaning to those things when they see them, and I just find that fascinating. Yeah, no, I mean serenity now, right? It, yeah, <laughs> it's it's uh, uh, I I don't think that there is any downside for him to. Uh, trying to hyper focus everything, right? I, I, if 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 I thought anything about today's press conference, it was that there could be thirty different standalone stories written mm -hmm. about all of the different subjects and topics that were covered, and it's it's a hurricane, it's a tornado. Like th there's just yeah. there's there is so much involved in this. And specifically at that position as the head coach of a major college football program that you have to deal with, that you that you are trying to adjust to and set a course to and figure out the, the best path forward that, yeah, it does make sense when, when you look at 1-0, when you look at the, the way that he tries to uh, minimize isn't the right word, but again, like hyper-focused to, to, yeah. to narrow things down, to bring things into, uh, you know, a smaller frame to deal with it. It again, like it, make, it makes sense. I just think it, it makes it more relatable to people when, so I, I think self-aware people, smart people set up guardrails in their own life to prevent bad habits that they know about themselves and things they want to change and fix, but maybe against their nature. 
I, I think it makes that whole thing way more relatable when you consider the source and you consider the person and you hear it as that as an internal thing, as a personal thing. So it's not just a guy up there selling you on something. He's like it's 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 a belief. It is something that he has to do for the organization. And for the most part, they've been able to do that. There are some some pretty tough losses that they've sustained. And I'm I'm really leaning into this one and oh thing, but it goes to all the things he talks about of competing every single day and and uh, competing in all facets and all areas. And there's this sense that that's not that people aren't hearing that when he says it, or that that uh, I, I think fans or people that are contrarians about his time as the head coach that they point to just the win loss record and it's like, you know, we pull back and we look at all of these topics and you mentioned like a hurricane of things. You got to build in some of these insulating ideas and mantras in your life so that you can get through all of it. And it, to me, it makes the whole thing much more relatable. And I think at times the problem is, it, I think it humanizes him a little more. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that dealing and interacting with him on a professional level, um, certainly, uh, it, if you're on the outside looking in, it, it's just, it's a game, right? It's yeah, it's football. Yeah. And, what? Who cares? Doesn't matter. Like, I, do you know anything about the personality of the Buffalo Bills head coach? I do. I, but I don't even know who that know, is. Like, I, I, I that's because I care and I'm a fan. But yeah, I yeah. Okay, but I'm I'm just saying, like, if if person X was replaced in two years, yeah, you'd move on to whoever that next person is. Sure. Like, somebody sure. else. Somebody else would fill that position, and you would still care more about the results. You would still care more about whether or not Buffalo had won the Super Well, I mean, that's unrealistic, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's very realistic. It was 13 seconds away. Anyway. Uh, no, so, but but with James, like, look, if, if, if you're me or you or somebody who is around the program constantly, like, he can't fake it. Yeah. No, nobody can. You, you, you cannot fake you, these. These are the things, and he talked about it today, with all of this other stuff that's happening, if you don't have some anchor core philosophies that are going to be a roadmap for you or, or uh, you know, the stabilizing force, you're not going to make it. Like, they're, they're, you're not going to be able to move the program forward. And those things are all necessary. And I think that he feels very strongly that he has those. Yeah. They haven't changed, right? The, the four core pillars, like all this stuff, uh, competing in everything you do, everybody knows what they are at this point. But if if those aren't present, then you're going to find yourself adrift. And I feel like with all of the things that are happening right now in, in college football specifically, he feels as though, and he says this, that you you can navigate those and, right, like if you're mm -hmm. willing to embrace what those changes are, uh, you'll be you'll be able to move forward. You'll be able to to change things uh, in a positive direction. But if you if you are like resistant to all of that, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to find success. Well, I appreciate you indulging me on some deeper psychology level things. I, I find that stuff fascinating. Uh, yeah, I and, didn't know we were going to go there. 
there. <laughs> yeah, I may maybe I, I sprung that one on you a little bit, but let's talk about something else that's uh, pretty more, uh, much more concrete. Let's talk about football. Let's talk about position battles. Let's talk about Sean Clifford. Yeah, well, Sean's our returning starter. You know, there's there's no doubt about that. Um, but yeah, there's competition at, at every position, and you know, obviously it's it's more challenging. Um, you know, at any position to unseat a returning starter who's been doing it for a couple of years. Uh, but there's competition uh, across the board, uh, across the board at every single position. And you rebuild your team every single year. Um, and there'll be competition at every single every single position, including the quarterback position. What, what did that mean? <laughs> That was that was that was the art of coach speak, uh, right there. I I think it's what it's always been, which is I, I do think <laughs> people kill me for this or are going to kill me for this, and I get it. But if anybody else is demonstrably better than Sean Clifford. They'll start, but it doesn't change the reality that he's the returning starter. Right. He, he has started. He has like, it's not, it's not a, uh, Hey, he was the starter for the last four games of the year. Right. Yeah. Like, let's say he got hurt and Christian Bay, you came in and Christian Bay, you started for the last, let's say the last half of the year, right? Yeah. So Christian Veyu starts the last six games. Sean Clifford doesn't come back from injury. Uh, would James Franklin describe Christian Veyu as the returning starter? And the answer right. is probably not. Probably not, right? He, and at that point, it would be, hey, this, we're not sure who the returning starter is. Right. Or Sean Clifford is still the returning starter because he has started so many games, right? right. Like, like I, I don't think, I, I don't think that he, and he has said this before. I don't think that there is a firm commitment to someone who is injured, just automatically being given their job back because they were hurt. Right. right. So like PJ Mustafer, for instance, who obviously anybody at full strength would consider him to be a shoe in, to be a starter sure. next season. Absolutely. He, yeah. Yeah. But if he's not, if he's not, yeah, it somebody else could could wedge their way in there. Yeah. Well, this is me circling around. Sean Clifford's not hurt. Sean Clifford started 12 games this past season. Yeah. He missed one because he was puking everywhere, right? And so right. uh if so for Sean Clifford to be coming out of 3 years as a starter with a couple of hiccups once during the 2020 season and then one game lost due to uh, illness during the 2021 season. Yeah. He, he is still the returning starter. Somebody that wants to unseat the returning starter. You, you gotta, you gotta take them down, right? Like you gotta. Yeah. Prove. So it, it goes back to what we said this off season. And I said about winter conditioning is you've got to check every single box to beat Sean yep. Clifford. You've got to be bigger and stronger and you've got to lead people in the weight room. You've got to be a driving force and improvement in the off season. Now the question is, is there enough oxygen for that to happen without dividing your locker room? So can you lead workouts in the summer? 
if you're Christian Veyu, or do you have to defer to Clifford? Can you be a co-leader? Like, how does that how does that dynamic work? Is there enough room for that to happen? But the point remains: you have to overcome all of these advantages that Sean Clifford has, thanks to time and time on the job. And that's basically yeah. what what James Franklin said: is it's hard to uh, beat out a returning starter because there's so much more data and information, there's so much more comfort, there's so much more experience being the starter. And I, I was trying to have some fun with it to start because I know people get like grip the steering wheel with white knuckles mad about this topic. But like that's that's the reality. That's what he's saying is he's he's not going to say that no one can ever unseat Sean Clifford, but he's our starter and we'll compete at every position and it's technically open but come on you have to be better than sean clifford again not just in production not just the end result in the process to get to start so but that but that is open that is open like it, i'm i'm not saying that there isn't an an, an it's inherent a, advantage it's a soft there. open like i mean i guess that's the point that is the point of the the disgruntled or frustrated person watching or or hearing this is that what you're saying is it's open but in no way is it open to in the realm of re reasonable expectation. Like the reality is Sean Clifford's going to be the starter next year. And people don't want that reality. So they want to hear that there's the option for a reality. And, and really that's what we're talking about. The probability of somebody else being better than Sean Clifford when they're all redshirt freshmen or true freshmen. So that's the frustration. That's the part that I think for a Penn State fan that wants a different future that reality is not presenting itself. And by the way James Franklin talked about it, I don't know that we've see, he's seen a lot of evidence of Christian Veyu, or at least he's not going to talk about anything, that he's seen yeah. that that gap has closed. Yeah, I, I, but I think, that, I think that the thing that gets lost is that Sean Clifford, there are two things to consider, right? One is, yes, Sean Clifford has a history that these other guys don't. And so they have to build in terms of, the data set that Penn State's coaching staff is going to consider from. Yeah. However, for as much of an advantage as that might be for Sean Clifford, it also could be a disadvantage because he has demonstrated yeah. uh, in certain respects his faults, right? Like Oh, for sure. Yeah. He's yeah. he's not going to be he's not going to be a different person next year. He's not going to be a different quarterback. Yep. He is who he is. This this much has been shown over 3 years as a starter. And so if someone comes in and shows an ability and, and, but while checking all of those other boxes shows an ability that is very clearly better than what Sean Clifford has performed in the past, I, I, they will have to consider that. Yeah. <laughs> that will have to be part of the equation for them. This gotta let these, there's so much more to talk about, but we gotta let this go. That's why like at, I'm not really a great host sometimes because I just want to talk about it more. We got to get to the last thing, which is the latest commit. There were two today on National Signing Day. We're recording on Wednesday. Uh, and and one of them is a offensive lineman from Washington. Officially, uh, Vega Ioni is 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 uh, signed in our class as well. Uh, a six foot four, 330 offensive lineman out of Graham, Washington, Graham uh, Capelson uh, High School, and Coach Curl out there. Um, you know, really excited as a young man that came on campus on an official visit with his mom, brother, and sister. Uh, he's one of nine uh, children. Uh, he's the youngest of nine children. 
Um, you know, you're talking about, you know, you're talking about a guy that, you know, was part of a state championship team this year as well. Uh, a guy that we think is going to physically have the opportunity to come in and compete uh, early on in his career. Um, but talking about another high-level offense lineman that played for a really, really good high school. Um, and, and obviously, from an academic perspective, too, is a great fit for Penn State. So, uh, 330 pounds. So we had him listed most recently at 280 in the on three database that, uh, changes everything, you know, watching him on film, having that new information, having 330 pounds and the way he moves. And if you want to go back and watch some of Ryan Snyder and my conversation about Vega Ione, uh, over the last couple of weeks, first off, we're pronouncing his name wrong the entire time, but some of those highlights and there's going to be a T Frank's film room about him going forward is like, yeah, as James Franklin talked about, coming in and competing early, he is fast, aggressive, great feet, and in his 3.30, that translates to the college football level immediately. So, something positive to end on, Nate. It's not a question, just something positive to end on. I have a question, sure. because I don't follow these things as closely. Why isn't he, why doesn't he get the rankings love that? Uh, you know, truthfully, like at this point, I've watched some of his tape. I haven't gotten into a full game of his. Um, but the the main thing is, if you're not a tackle, if you're not six five, you don't have incredible length, then you probably aren't going to be considered a very high prospect. Also, our rankings and our you know the database is accurate on the information we have. So if he gained fifty pounds in the last six months, that's gonna change everything. So, you know, coming in and being the same size roughly as Landon Tangwall with his physical skills that Ione has, that that changes the, that changes my evaluation, that changes those metrics that if you saw him early and his frame filled out and like you thought, oh, he's got the size to do it. And now you see not only does he have the size to do it, he maintained his speed and his quickness and his quick feet. Yeah, that changes your analysis. That changes your perspective. So late bloomers are a thing. He's obviously been a guy that's been in and out of recruitment uh, with Washington and their situation with uh, with their head coach leaving. So, you know, there's a thousand different factors. But to me, like just looking at the information I have on hand, he probably is a late bloomer in this process. Good for them. I mean, that that look anything that anything that comes in on the offensive line that has a chance to compete and it has a chance to provide some stability there is a bonus for Penn State football at this point yeah and, and so the last thing and I'll get into more of this in his film later in the week but with those things and I know that people will say like well you know you should know x y or z but like if he's doing it at 280 that is different I'm just gonna say it again it's different than if he's doing it at 330 and with that piece of information in Penn State's system one thing they missed last year was that they missed explosiveness. The guys that they had were quick and had good speed. Juice Scruggs has good speed in the open field, but explosive strength to reach block and get on the other side of defensive linemen and to make a difference and literally make an impact on the defensive line and move them off the ball. You need that explosive size and strength. He's got the markings to do all of those things. He's got all of the factors necessary from the quick feet to the size to the strength to really fit well in Penn State's zone blocking system. And it might help them run the ball a little bit better in outside zone going forward with that speed. So those are all factors, and I'm going to dive into the tape. I'll get you your full scouting report later. But early signs are that's that's why he's going to come in and compete early. It's because he's got the things that are necessary in the system. 
So playoff? The the college football playoff? <laughs> the college football playoff. They need they need difference makers. That's all. <laughs> yes. Eventually, if you had enough Vega Iones and enough Drew Allers, you would get to the college football playoff. Who knows? Uh, Nick Singleton, please. Thank did you. I, did I not say Nick Singleton? I'm sorry. Uh, of course, Nick Singleton, the Gatorade Player of the Year. Uh, coming up tomorrow on the BWI Daily Edition, Nate and I are going to talk about name, image, and likeness, commitment to the program, facilities, all the good stuff. Right here on the BWI Daily Edition, I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll talk to you tomorrow.